0: Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. This week, the show is brought to you by the Ontology of Value Masterclass for PhDs, which was designed by previous guest Natalia Bielczyk and is a six week intensive online workshop where you will explore your opportunities in the job market, learn where you fit best in the current job landscape, learn skills and strategies that will help you land good positions and learn general self-navigation strategies that will help you progress fast in any work environment and quickly adjust to the changing job market. Now, Natalia will be giving this training herself in early November, so you're in luck. And if you're interested, just go to papaphd.com forward slash ovmasterclass in one word. If you follow this affiliate link, Not only will you be helping me produce the show, but Natalia has offered to gift Papa PhD listeners one extra access code to the ontology of value test so you can offer it to a friend or colleague who's looking to have a better grasp of what types of positions they're better suited for. I really trust Natalia and the work she's done around career readiness in the context of transitions to industry and I'm over the moon happy to be sharing this with you today. So now, without further ado, here is my conversation about the research and the development mindsets with David Giltner.
1: The fact that academia and industry have very different goals, one is for creating knowledge, one is for creating profit, the working habits that bring success are different. And yet a PhD is trained to be independent. This is how we're, we're different than somebody who graduates with a bachelor's you've gained a few skills, but you kind of know you're green, you know, you don't really know how things work. And so you're ready for somebody to teach you. But a PhD has been trained to be independent. And then when they move into the private sector, it turns out some of those habits do need to change. And that is one of the biggest gaps. It's one of the biggest gaps I hear from the job seekers, you know, when they're told things like they're too smart, the job or they're overqualified usually those are euphemisms what they are what the manager is saying is that they don't understand what we need here and this is what the managers will talk about too uh basically they say they don't really understand what we're trying to do here it's no longer about spending years on an interesting problem it's about delivering a solution in nine months
0: Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendes, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. I want to welcome everyone to this new episode of Papa PhD. Uh, In this case, we're taping it live right now uh, on LinkedIn and YouTube. And I am here today with David Giltner. David has spent more than 20 years developing cutting-edge photonics technology into commercial products in the fields of optical communications, remote sensing, directed energy, and scientific instrumentation. In 2017, he started Turning Science, to provide training and support for scientists of all disciplines seeking to enter the private sector as employees, collaborators, or entrepreneurs. David is the author of the books Turning Science into Things People Need and It's a Game, Not a Formula, and is an internationally recognized speaker and mentor on the topics of technology, commercialization, product development, and career design. He has a bachelor's and a PhD in physics and holds seven patents in the fields of laser spectroscopy and optical communications. And like I said, what we're going to talk about today, the subject is going to be research mindset versus development mindset. Do do these mix, do don't, don't they mix? This is what we're going to talk about. But first uh, David, welcome. I'm super happy to have you here. Is there something else you'd like to add to the the short presentation I did of, of your of what you've what's brought you here today
1: uh sure i mean as far as what brought me to here maybe that's what i'll talk about because as you describe so i started in physics and i built a career a uh, couple decades uh, in the private sector developing laser-based photonics based products uh, but in the last 4 years i've been doing something a bit different it it started with the book that i wrote the first one turning science into things people need in 2010 started as a side project uh just speaking in uh, occasionally on scientists who have transitioned into the private sector but it became such a, a, a topic of interest both in terms of the need mm-hmm. uh as i started speaking about it i found lots of scientists who struggled to make the transition and honestly, I talked to a lot of managers in the private sector who struggled with their scientists, who didn't understand the transition mm-hmm. they had made. And in 2017, that's when I, I left my job and started doing this, uh, started turning science. And it's, it's been quite a journey uh, just because of you know there's, there's so much in this topic of uh, industry and academia. And in much of what I do, I emphasize the differences because they are very different environments. Mm-hmm. One is for creating knowledge. The other is for creating a profit Mm -hmm. creating solutions. But as you brought up this this question of, I I think of there being a different mindset for each. And the question is, do we have to pigeonhole people in one or the other? Do we have to, it's kind of the tribal tendencies we humans have, I think to move into one and say, well, this is the real place. This is where you make (laughs) the best career. And that is not productive. So without getting into it, any further right now that's kind of what sets up this mm. whole thing how i got to where i am yeah. Uh, now
0: yeah what what i find very interesting uh, about what you just said and about this arc of, of your of your story let's say is uh the people aspect so you you kind of alluded to the fact that you you got the feeling and i i i'm sure you have numbers that there's a lot of people out there that are asking themselves this question and that needed some help and that this is why i Mm -hmm. guess you said okay this is a real project i'm going to go and help these people can you can you give us a kind of a landscape of the the maybe the number but also the types of people that that come to you or that that you help and you know what what type of transitions they're trying to bring into their professional life more specifically
1: Yeah. So I think the two big categories of people that I work with, there are obviously a lot of uh, graduate students uh, usually about to get their Ph.D. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking that's sort of the point when they realize, hey, maybe there aren't enough positions in academia or maybe that's not the career that I want anyway. Yeah, that's that was me. (laughs) And (laughs) how do I move into this world that is completely unknown? we we can be almost 30 years old maybe older by the time we get our phd yeah. and yet we have no idea what industry is about and generally our professors can't help us i recall the the conversation with my advisor uh when i told her that i wanted to go into the private sector mm-hmm. instead of the career path to a professor and you know she she said if you want a postdoc i can hook you up i've got mm-hmm. connections and i knew she did But I'm afraid if you want to go into the private sector, you're on your own because I don't know anything about it. And this is, you know, so this is the one group. The other group are scientists that have transitioned into the private sector and they're working in a company and their technical skills are very valued. And their manager knows that they have good technical skills, but the working habits that they brought come from academic research and they're struggling to figure out uh, this is a different environment and I'm not quite getting it. That is really the topic behind, mm. you know, the, my second book. It's a game, not a formula, right? It's a because that's kind of the key message. It's we talk about. It's easy to talk about skills and knowledge and what skills and knowledge would an employer need, and that's important. But that's actually not the big gap. Mm-hmm. The biggest problems are in working habits and how you think about playing the game or not. Mm-hmm. That's the big, and that's the bulk of what I do.
0: It's it's interesting because it's true that conversations meet on twitter on you know about this question of career readiness etc cetera, etc cetera, and, and transitioning often gravitate mm-hmm. towards um you know listing your uh, core competencies your your transferable skills which i i agree it's it's an aspect but uh, mm-hmm. from my experience and from the conversations i've had the big shock uh, people get when transitioning is more the culture like Kind of, you know, to resume, to resume it in one word, the culture. Well, you, you, but you're exactly right. We hear so much about
1: skills, transferable skills. This is a great, wonderful concept. It's very important. Uh, many times, PhDs will think about the knowledge that they've gained in their five, six, seven years working on their PhD and wonder how that will be applicable in the private sector. All of that's relevant. Skills and knowledge get talked about a lot though because they're easier to talk about. Skills and knowledge are easy to put on a resume, yeah. on a CV. They're easy to train because of things we learn. The things that don't get, and, and so that's fine and it's a valuable discussion, but the part that Gelfin gets missed is use the word culture. I think that's a good way to think of it. I often talk about, it's, it's the habits that you have mm-hmm. because the fact that, Academia and industry have very different goals. One is for creating knowledge. One is for creating profit. The working habits that bring success are different. Mm-hmm. And yet a PhD is trained to be independent. This is how they're, we're, we're different than somebody who graduates with a bachelor's. You've gained a few skills, but you kind of know you're green. You know, you don't really know how things work. And so you're ready for somebody to teach you. But a PhD has been trained to be independent. Yeah. And then when they move into the private sector, it turns out some of those habits do need to change. And that is one of the biggest gaps. It's one of the biggest gaps I hear from the job seekers. You know, when they're told things like they're too smart for the job or they're overqualified, usually those are euphemisms. (laughs) What they are, what the manager is saying is that they don't understand what we need here. And this is what the managers will talk about too. Uh, th- basically they say they don't really understand what we're trying to do here. It's no longer about spending years on an interesting problem. It's about delivering a solution in nine
0: months. Yeah. And it's, and here it's fun. It's, it's interesting because I was going to, I was going to go to the time frame aspect of projects and of research versus, you know, uh, uh, industry commercial projects. And um, in the conversation I had kind of, you know, some time ago with, uh, with Simon Moore, he said or or maybe maybe with with chris um uh well, now the name is escaping me, but th- they said one of the big differences is one thing they learned when go when going to the private sector was a project has depending maybe two months to prove itself within a company before it's dropped, and in research, you can dig much longer into into something without this expectation of dropping it and and switching to something else. I I think this is a big, one of these big mindset, you know, switches and maybe shocks people might have, right? It is,
1: it is. I think two months can be accurate. It depends on the industry. Sometimes you'd have longer, but that is absolutely correct. When the goal is profit, efficiency is important. And it's important that you work on something that will ultimately make money. And that is uh, one of the big differences: is the time frame. Um, you know, I, I like to say in academia, you're pursuing a full understanding. And if you're not sure about something, you dig and you look more. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I like to say there's a different response to uncertainty. It's in in academic research. It's more: I'm not sure. I'm not certain. So let's keep looking. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: In industry. I'm not sure, so let's try something and and move forward. <laughs> you know, it's it's a different response to yeah. that. Um, so that's absolutely true, and I think that leads to a lot of the differences in the habits. Uh, one big one is making decisions. This is one of the big complaints that I have heard from all the industry managers that I've interviewed, and I've seen it myself as a as a manager. The typical PhD struggles to make decisions because they're used to working until they achieve certainty.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> this is what academic research is about. You keep going until you know, and then you publish. You don't publish something saying, well, we kind of think it's probably this. That would
0: not work. <laughs> <laughs> going <I'm> <laughs> to <Right? No. laughs>
1: But if you, in industry, once you transition into the private sector and you tell your boss, they, they a question might come up okay, I asked you to evaluate three different possible paths for this new product. We have a customer who needs it in nine months. What's your recommendation as to the path forward? Mm -hmm. And if you say, well, I don't know yet. I need two more months or two more years of of data or analysis. That doesn't work. They're saying, "I'm, I'm not asking you to be certain. I'm asking you to pick the one you think is probably going to be best. And let's start moving forward. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way we've worked all the way up until we made that transition in the private sector. And that's one of the biggest frustrations, actually. It's one of the big gaps, right? Mm-hmm. So to bring it back to skills and knowledge, that's not a skill or a knowledge. That's not that's not about transferable skills per se. That's about working habits. Yeah. And yet, that's one of the most frustrating things, one of the biggest gaps between uh, the technical teams, the PhD and the MBA, you might say, or the executives, you know, the company.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that 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 you you talk about uh, habits because it's it's not a it's not a point of view that I that I've you know heard a lot and I and I think it's a, it's a really really important and and it's actually an easy one to grasp uh, mm-hmm. in a way because you know it's not highfalutin terminology it's it's your habits it's how you're you how you're used to doing things. Um, I'm really curious because of this experience you have talking with people who are hiring and with managers mm-hmm. to go, to go a little deeper because this question of um, the gaps that we bring as PhDs when someone is hiring us is a big, is a black box for a lot of us. Yeah. We don't, we don't know because we, people who are in these hiring positions are often not in our network. Uh we, may or may not have had informational interviews with people in the industry that we're looking into and if we haven't well again we we don't know uh, where these these blind spots are um is there is there maybe a list of two so apart from this one which is a, which is a big one and it's it's easy to see how, where it stems from is there maybe two are there maybe you know two more uh, other key gaps that that you hear maybe that you know in, in order of of importance of or of frequency yeah
1: so maybe i'll go back to the to the habits that i talk about because mm-hmm. i think those get right at the gaps um i mean the first one is i say here's how i usually phrase it uh scientists or phds who are successful in the private sector mm. learn these habits quickly and what are the habits? The first one is they're focused on how to help their company make money. And that may sound obvious <laughs> when you think about it. Well, of course, companies make money. But again, it's a habit. It's not just the, the reason I talk about habits is habits are hard to change. And knowing that companies make money and saying, oh, sure, I need to help them make money is not the same as in your day-to-day work, and your thinking, and your decisions, are you incorporating that? Because we get so used to chasing an interesting problem. I I I remember (laughs) all of these myself. I remember the the pain every time the first five years in the private sector where I'd find myself wanting to dig into something really interesting, because that's what I could do as a PhD. I even saw my value. That's my value as you know, I'm smart, I can figure this out. And instead stop and go, hang on, if I spend a week looking at this problem does that help the company make money? Mm-hmm. I don't think it does. <laughs> I need to put that aside and make sure that my work is focused on helping the company make money because if I don't do that, mm-hmm. you know, we won't be here next year. So that's that's one big habit. Uh, another one that I I like because I so I mentioned we have i I I'll talk about myself because <laughs> I know a lot of us are this way. We think of ourselves as smart. That's why we have a PhD, right? But we can get focused on needing to show we're smart, and that can reduce, a, it can reduce our ability to, to get things done. So I like the other habit, or another habit I say is scientists, PhDs who are effective in the private sector are effective, not smart.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, right? Of course, it's valuable <laughs> to be smart, but it's meant to focus, again, as a habit – as, you know What are you doing day to day? Are you trying to be smart? Or are you focused on how to get results being effective? This, Both of these, two of the, the three that I mentioned came from a particular manager I spoke to about five years ago, I think. Hmm. I was thinking about launching Turning Science. I've been doing this for a while, and I was asking him. So he had been a CEO for about 20 years and had hired a lot of PhDs, and I wanted to get his input on this and he said you know 90% of phd's struggle hmm. and uh he actually he used the term they're they're worthless in industry and which is a bit extreme right well, but uh, it made the point i've that heard
0: that things like that
1: <sighs> it, it and i had too nobody had said it quite so directly but when i said okay what are some of the specific problems first one he said is they always have to be the smartest one in the room and that doesn't work in a team setting mm-hmm. You know, the the PhD physicist can't come in and tell the mechanical engineer with a bachelor's degree and 15 years of experience a better way to do things. But I've seen it happen. You know, they're focused on being smart rather than being effective. And the second one was the decisions. He said, I can't get them to make a recommendation because they want to collect more data and do more analysis. So anyway, those are. That's some background on two of those three Mm -hmm. habits. But those those three, they focus on how to help the company make money. They're effective, not just smart. And they make decisions without all the data they might like to have.
0: Mm. They decide quickly.
1: Um, I think of kind of those as the big three.
0: I think it's it's really interesting that those are the ones you, you pick up and they're, they're important. Um, I kind of want to go to the first one because,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, to, and I, we'll go to the others, but one of the things that when people go into science that they may imbue themselves with is, the private is let's use this word is dirty because there's money. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. Yeah. and there's also money in research, but you know it's it's different, and there's no you know <laughs> right. there's. But I'm sure you have examples of people who came from research, who went to industry, who are making money, but who are also bringing something to to a community, to to uh, you know to whatever to. a whatever organization they're in, but that affects the society positively. Because I, I think one of the things yes. that I'd like to kind of break is this possible taboo of, oh, I'm, I'm uh, uh, what's the expression in English? Uh, selling out. Selling out, yeah. <laughs> selling out might yeah. be mm-hmm. in one of the issues. Is this something you've seen when you've talked with possible candidates of having this feeling of, oh, I'm selling out?
1: Absolutely, some people worry about that. And there, unfortunately, is absolutely that attitude in academia. Not everyone mm-hmm. in academia, but some. Uh, you know, where I've seen that the sharpest is uh, I, I also work with scientists who are interested in research careers, but are interested in collaborating with the private sector. Mm-hmm. These are people who understand you can do both. And this is part of what led to the research and the development mindset. And I teach a workshop actually for postdocs who want to have research, academic research careers, but want to collaborate. And in doing that and preparing for that, I've spoken to a number of researchers who have built effective collaborations. So they, they work at a university. They have a often quite large research groups, research efforts, and some great industry collaborations. Many of them have said, my colleagues look down on me Mm. for taking industry money. One, I remember I met in uh, Brussels a few years ago, said, some of my colleagues call me a prostitute for taking money and not doing science. It's a very unfortunate attitude. Uh, But as you pointed out, it is not uh justified either i think when we when people many people think of okay industry is about profit we think of the negative stories of corporate greed and people who end up cheating people out of money and trying to amass lots of wealth of course that happens there's bad players bad performers everywhere you go but there are plenty of companies and, and i have spoken to many people in these companies who are creating solutions i mean a perfect example. So for my, for my second book, I, I did a bunch of new interviews as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I spoke to a woman who has a company, started a company in the Los Angeles area to develop a solution for prostate cancer. Okay. Excellent example, right? She's like, think about the, the men who are not only affected by this, their families, the people who love them, and we are on the verge of creating a solution that will help them. And of course, we have to turn a profit in order to be here and continue to do this next year. Of the profit is the way we get to that solution that will make the world better. And also, it gives jobs to the people who are helping to do this, mm-hmm. which is a positive thing. So, you know, profit does not have to be dirty. You're absolutely right. Many people think of it that way, mm-hmm. and it's very unfortunate. But the people that, that I find that have the best view of this are those, uh, some of the academic scientists who ha- who collaborate because they kind of see both sides of it. They understand, hey, there's value in pushing for new knowledge mm-hmm. and doing basic fundamental research that, where we don't know if it's going to turn into something or not because that's where tomorrow's solutions come from. Yeah. And there's value in working with companies to help them in whatever way we can, because they are creating the solutions. That's the, you know, the title of my first mm-hmm. book: "Turning Science into Things People Need." I, I like that because that's what we're doing. Yes, profit is part of it, but it's the things people need.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That's the value. Well, that's where science gets its value, right? If you publish a bunch of journal articles, they only really have true value when they're turned into a solution that helps humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. and and eventually you know and and, you know lots lots of people do phds end up doing different things and they put in uh, you know one brick into the 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 wall of of science that one day will bring a solution it's not immediate research when you're on the private side again there's a a different time constraint that that you need to (laughs) to try and and the things in in a a different time it's uh, it's i think it's a really important conversation this one and it's it's um But I think the difficulty is to, so to break this taboo, is that, uh, or is in um, the fact that often in PhD programs, there is no platform or no chance for young researchers to do an internship, to talk with, with people who are... Uh, you know, who have startups and who maybe did the same PhD program as they did. Um, Do you have, you know, and and based on what you've researched, the interviews you've done, um, because just, I'm going to give you an example. So in France, there is a a type of PhD contract, which is called Cypher, which is Mm -hmm. specifically a contract for a PhD that's going to happen within a company. And it's mm-hmm. it's not widespread. There's a growing number each year of cipher contracts that are given, but I I've talked to some of these people, and it's a, a huge plus for them because they are doing the research they wanted to do. So they're doing a PhD, but they do learn the culture. The culture they do learn the social aspects, the social. Uh, uh, because lo- like you said there's some awkwardness in trying to be the smart person in the room right and they learn right. that yes. they learn that because they're yes. on the floor they're in the in the office and so have you seen or or do you have well first have you seen things like that happening around you of uh of programs offering platforms for young researchers to dip their toe in the in the pool in a way yeah i i have
1: seen some of it i'm aware of the kinds of things you're talking about. Uh industry PhD is another term that is often used for that. Mm. I think it's a wonderful idea for exactly the reason you described. Mm. It is not common yet, um, but I look forward to that growing. It's interesting as you describe that. I can hear though objections from some people who would say, oh, but that's not what a PhD is for. You know, a PhD Mm -hmm. is meant to groom next tomorrow's professors tomorrow's mm-hmm. academic researchers and that's some of that human tribal culture i think tribal nature coming in mm-hmm. it's unfortunate a phd can be for both it, it it that gets back to the research mindset the development mindset it doesn't have to be one or the other we can groom phd's that are planning academic careers mm-hmm. we can groom phd's the, the same strengths the same independent mindset that will go into companies. There's value in both. Mm -hmm. And we can groom PhDs that understand both and may choose to go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what the professors, the researchers who do industry collaborations have kind of grown on their own, Mm -hmm. right? That's where they've developed. They've on their own said, hey, I see both have value. I see that I don't have to go into only one or the other. Mm -hmm. I can recognize and embrace the value of both. And Maybe there's actually a synergy there instead of saying it's one or the other, Mm -hmm. you know, industry is good. Academia is bad. Academia is good. Industry is bad. It's a, it's a synergy. Knowledge is developed and it's turned into a solution. And if we embrace both understand both and a, and a versatile scientist can go back and forth. We're, we're supposed to be smart. We ought (laughs) to be able to figure both environments out and adapt from one to the other. There's no reason we have to do only one. So that's true. Uh, I drifted a bit from the topic of the industry PhD, but that I think that is, I think as that grows, that will develop the credibility that yes, a PhD can work in industry. There's things they can do. Mm. It's not monotonous work as sometimes people hear. Uh, It is absolutely a different way to be creative and uh, independent. And
0: yeah. It's interesting. You talk about creativity because uh, I'm I'm thinking of my interview with, uh, Jonathan Weitzman in in uh, University in Paris and he's he believes in that fully and he's one of those he at a certain point he left academia and then came back within a year but to go, you know to go to industry but what happened is after coming back he's now still a professor but he kept really close contacts with industry some of his students now have startups and he brings his mm-hmm. students to visit and you know it's he it, it, it's such 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 an enrichment to his experience as a professor but to his students yes. as as being students and the, one other point that i that i wanted to, you know to to comment com- coming from what you said is yes people are groomed to be professors but there are only so many spots as professor right now so <laughs> right. why not open up the the gamut of of what we're grooming people for a little bit to allow them to successfully transition later on to this other world that's uh, a little bit different. I
1: I think that's really true. You know, sometimes I have heard, oh, we're creating too many PhDs now in the world. Well, if you assume that PhDs should go into academia, that would be true. Mm -hmm. But if you look much more broadly at what a PhD is, it's not about it's not necessarily about learning a specific research path and then continuing that if, if that's your view yeah it seems like it's it's overdone yeah. or or maybe even a waste if instead you see that a phd teaches somebody how to think independently be creative solve problems those skills are useful in so many places yeah. it's about having a broader view and there are i think 3 general things that we're seeing now trends um in academia that actually are pushing that and i like to see it one is the industry phd Mm -hmm. one uh, is the uh, second one is the professors the researchers that do collaborate and the third you mentioned is the growing startup culture in some universities yeah all of those are bringing greater awareness and significance uh, to recognition for the private sector, mm-hmm. kind of a, an awareness that not only is it there, but it is a good thing and it is a valuable career path in parallel to academia.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's true, and it's it's good to see uh, uh, these things happening, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not widespread yet, and and you know, there's there's work to be done uh, more like systemically, so that because what right. what happens often, and uh, I don't know if people who come to you talk about this but a lot of people end up well there's people who end up quitting phds and there's reasons mm-hmm. for that for sure but you know uh mental health issues in in you know young researchers are the numbers are yeah i was going to say staggering but they're they're substantial and mm-hmm. the one of the facts that i believe is important in that is the insecurity of not knowing especially if you realize i'm not going to be a professor and then, okay, how mm-hmm. do I figure out what I'm gonna be next? If I didn't prepare for these two, three, four, I would, whichever right. years before, this is why what you do. I think it's really inspiring, and and I I really always want to showcase people who are trying to help people, and and you know, and graduate researchers and PhDs find their place in a world that they might at first think, okay, I don't belong here.
1: Yeah, that's uh, it's an excellent point. That is. If I had to pick one aspect of what I try to do, (laughs) it's to help PhDs see that moving out of academia is not a plan B. It's so unfortunate that many of us see it that way. It's terribly unfortunate. Uh, We come in with this vision that we should be a professor. And many of us actively want that when we start our graduate careers, and that's fine. Often because that's really the only thing we see. You know, as a physicist, I just knew, well, that's what a physicist does. A scientist yeah. <laughs> becomes a professor, exactly. right? Um, and either we realize, as we watch our professors, this, is, this was my story. I watched my advisor and the other professors as I went through graduate my graduate studies and realized, I don't think that is the career that I want. I want something more dynamic and varied. Mm-hmm. It's fine for them. That's great. It's not for me. Uh, and decided I want something different. Some of us realize, ooh, it's a very competitive job market for very few professor positions. Mm-hmm. What are the chances I'll get it? But in many of those cases, unfortunately, many of us end up feeling like, ah, oh, I've done this for nothing, to, to exaggerate it, right? Or I've done it for, you know, that is so unfortunate. And if there's one message I try to get out there, this is not the case. I understand you may be thinking that, and I understand why mm-hmm. you may be thinking that, because few people in academia understand industry and there's not enough respect for it, but it is absolutely not the case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I try to help them look at their strengths, their experience, their PhD, what it means and find there are plenty of things you can do. That's, that's one of the reasons I like the interviews, bring me a lot of stories The people I talk to bring stories. So it's not just me saying, well, here's my career path. (laughs) And I've found so many fun, exciting things to do with my degree, I never felt it was a waste, even though I didn't even do a postdoc. But I've got plenty of other stories of people too mm-hmm. who take that experience and they turn it into something other than what they might have imagined, and it's absolutely rewarding, absolutely exciting, and absolutely makes a difference yeah. in the world, which is what most of them wanted to do. Uh,
0: uh, th- this makes me think of of, of, of uh, the next question because I do think when we start a PhD, we want to we want to have an impact on science you know Mm -hmm. on whatever domain but eventually you want to have an impact on society and and this i you know we haven't talked about questions or anything and you you know if you don't have an answer it's fine but from your standpoint and to kind of help these you know people who might be thinking oh man i just wasted six years of my life uh, and uh, the society doesn't need what i trained for what are tendencies what are let's say one or two big questions that society is facing today? From your standpoint and, and from what you know of the industry, that the industry is going to to tackle and that PhDs are going to be able to lend a hand and make a difference in today in 2021.
1: So excellent question. Um, I guess what I would say is not so much specific technologies or maybe specific specific problems, but the two things that a PhD can do outside of academic research is Solve problems, and and if that sounds vague and generic, it is, and I mean that intentionally because you can apply your problem-solving skills and experience to almost anything. Mm -hmm. And so that is one of them. The other is uh, independence, independent learning. I mean, both of these good, critical problem-solving skills and a true independent approach, able to learn on your own. And in in the era now where so much information and disinformation is available, the ability to critically think about what's right and what's not, mm-hmm. what's true and what's not is important. The ability to take a vague concept and turn it into a real plan, which is what most of us did for our PhD. Mm-hmm. The ability, the confidence to say, you know, nobody's done this before, but I can probably do it. Because again, that's what most of us did for our PhDs. That is the real value in the PhD degree. Mm -hmm. And none of those things are ever wasted. If No matter what you do in your career, you can find ways to leverage those strengths. Mm -hmm. Independence, problem solving, confidence, uh, an ability to turn a vague concept into a plan and execute it. Where is that not valuable? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what that actually... That perspective does is it shifts somebody's mentality from, oh my, I'm not going to be a professor, so I wasted my degree, to, oh wow, I didn't appreciate the strengths that I both developed and have proven mm-hmm. can be leveraged in almost anything I want to do. <laughs> that it opens up a whole new set of of career options. Possibilities. Life options, possibilities. Yes.
0: But a question for you and again depending on on you know the managers what industries the managers you talk with are in but what industries are you know want phds or will want phds in the next 5 to 10 years that people listening might not be might not suspect that there's a place for them in there uh you know there's a lot going on in the
1: life sciences i'm very excited by it. and i know that's still broad but if you think of life sciences whether it's uh synthetic biology whether it's creating you know vaccines and medicines. And, uh, you know, I'm so excited by what's going on with uh, DNA work, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. whether it's mRNA or um, CRISPR technologies, but just broadly speaking, we are learning so much in the life sciences. And I've known a lot of people that have moved into that from other areas. So back to a PhD in some other discipline Mm -hmm. might still find a great spot there. For two reasons. One, we can learn new skills and new knowledge quickly. We've done that. Yeah. And two, uh, just to go back to the example of the life sciences, it is incorporating so many other things as it grows. For example, I know a lot of fellow physicists who have moved into uh, the life sciences. Many have started okay. companies that are bioscience companies. And maybe they're using uh, some photonics technology technology as part of the technology, but they're creating another solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another interview I did was a woman whose PhD in physics worked with lasers, but she and her colleague developed a way of inserting, using a laser to insert CRISPR into a cell, (laughs) accomplishing a challenge there, right? I don't know how much she, I mean, she's she's not a biologist, she's a physicist. Mm -hmm. And yet moving forward with that confidence that Mm. I can probably learn what I need, and I can get people to help me. And she moved forward, started a company in Boston, Massachusetts, wow. and she and her partner wow. are often running with that. So uh, those are some of the most exciting ones. As an aside, sometimes I, I wish I had gotten into life sciences more. It's such a, an amazing frontier. So that's a big one mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that uh, I think of. Um, and
0: that has affected us as a society in the last year or so hugely <laughs> absolutely and the promise for where
1: it will go now that many of us are more comfortable with that mm-hmm. and there's a, a realization that this really holds a lot of promise boy i think the next decade
0: is going to be very fun yeah to watch definitely plus for that reason <clears throat> plus we're facing different planet-wide issues be them social uh climate change etc That. You know, these are huge problems with many variables that I think yes. the PhD profile, be it in social sciences or you know in climate sciences or physics or or you know whatever, are you know is a, is um the format that that we come out out with the formatting we come out with in terms mm-hmm. of thinking and of solving <laughs> solving problems. I believe uh, it's gonna it's gonna make people who come with this training and who want to do something more directly applied to what's happening today, they'll find where, you know, they, or they'll build because we didn't talk about entrepreneurship and we're reaching the end of the interview. But one thing we didn't think we didn't talk and you just mentioned it is PhDs are mm-hmm. actually going and launching their companies based on Absolutely. <laughs> uh, on their research. Absolutely. One of the workshops
1: I do is can a scientist be a successful entrepreneur? And the answer is yes. The answer is absolutely. Uh, I've had people say, in fact, I remember posting something. I forget where I posted it, uh, suggesting this. And the first comment actually started with, ahem. (laughs) And then said, these are very scientists and entrepreneurs, very different careers. And one person can't do both. I I just thought it was so interesting. He actually typed out, ahem. (laughs) But there is absolutely a thought that we can't do both. I've got plenty of data. To give interviews to suggest <laughs> we absolutely can. That is such an exciting career path for many. Talk about turning science into things people need. Creating your own idea yeah. and moving forward with it, and being an entrepreneur is absolutely uh, a career path that requires somebody with an independent thinking ability to learn on their own, and actually an ability to be effective, not smart. They have to. What it's important to learn and understand things themselves but they have to know to depend on other people as well and not try to do it all
2: themselves
1: (laughs) great career opportunity to make a difference in the world and uh, you know you we you're asking about specific areas you mentioned a couple more Um, the environment is a really important one I think just in I don't know I don't have a term for this but Disinformation is something that is much more on my mind lately. Mm-hmm. That's not an industry. It's not a market. It's not a, but somehow we all have to deal with this yeah. and we need some creative, intelligent people to work on this problem. Uh, some of it has been created by people with a technology background, obviously, at wanting to do good. And now we see where it goes. I, I think that is a an opportunity for some PhDs to really make a difference. Yeah. Um, I mentioned life sciences already. I'm impressed. I do a lot of workshops, uh, and I'm impressed with the number of people that are working on new cancer solutions. And I I think there's some really promising technologies. Boy, that, that sounds so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of these are opportunities and many of them are starting companies to try and push specific solution forward it's it's very
0: exciting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree and and i think it's it's a good point to kind of finish the interview in on a on a positive note uh because th- it's true that and i've seen this comment first uh, i I, w- I was just in a conference in a twitter exchange uh lately uh and i was you know kind of saying phds equal phd equals entrepreneur to kind of say that it's you know a phd naturally can become an entrepreneur and the conversation was. I tried to nuance things and say, well, not everyone. First, not everyone be it, be them researchers or not have this entrepreneurship uh, gene, right. <laughs> let's say. Sure, and sure. it's the same thing within PhDs. Some are. Some will be will thrive there. Some won't. So I think it's an important point. But um, uh, I think finishing it on a good note that there's there's place and there's problems to be solved. There's big problems to be solved in society and that part of them have to be solved or will be solved in, in the private sector, uh, or at least not in academia. And that's okay. And you can, t- you can be part of it. You can be a, you can be a professional, um, researcher, uh, a research scientist within a company, within a pharma. There's so many places where you can thrive and, and contribute. But David, first, uh, I'm, I'm running your, uh, website, uh, here mm-hmm. below. um, I, I really want you to kind of pitch your new book that's coming out. Share the date of when it's coming out. Uh, talk like a minute on what it's about. And I think we kind of covered a bunch of it during our conversation. But yeah, take mm-hmm. this these next uh, few minutes, next uh, one or two minutes to to talk about what's coming up on your side. All right. Well, thank you. Well, so it's an extension of my first book, my first one,
1: turning science into things people need. But this I wrote before I really knew much about this field. I interviewed a bunch of scientists who had transitioned in the private sector and put their stories in here. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward 11 years from there, actually 10 years, I guess, pandemic hit. I realized I wasn't going to be traveling for a while because that's most of what I do is travel and give workshops and and training. And I thought, now's the time to write the book where I put my own ideas Mm -hmm. into it. And one of, as I thought about what are some of the themes I've learned, one of the biggest ones that wraps all this together is we PhDs, we scientists, when we move into the private sector, we still think in terms of finding a right answer, Mm -hmm. thinks of, of, of a formula or a checklist. And that captures a lot of the habit differences, the gap between how we've been trained and how the private sector needs us to function. And I realized it's like a game. You know, a game is something where there's no single right answer. Mm -hmm. There are many ways to win and you have to find your own. A game is about taking risk. You have to take a shot or you have to play your hand in cards or move your chess piece. You don't know if you're going to get it or not. You have to decide quickly, take the shot. And if it doesn't work, you try again. That's what the private sector is about. Mm -hmm. And also, knowledge isn't enough to be successful. We get used to the more we know, the more powerful we are in a research environment, right? In the private sector, there's a lot of people that know how to play the game and they realize knowledge is valuable, but it's not everything. Mm -hmm. I like to say, to go back to the game analogy, knowing the rules better than anyone does not make you a professional player. That's how you become a referee, Mm -hmm. but you, you have to know the rules. But sometimes the best players are the ones that know the rules and then, find their
0: way to win (laughs) around that. Yeah. And, and that, that goes back to learn to the rules are those habits and things in part of them. Mm -hmm. Is that what you mentioned before? When is it coming out exactly? When can, when and where can people get the book? So it should be this month.
1: I wish I had a specific date to give you. It will be on Amazon is the best place. Uh, Watch my website. It's the great thing. So within, within this month, by the end of October, I should have a link, Perfect. um, but it'll, like I say, it'll be on Amazon. Uh, it's uh, published through SPIE, is a professional optics society. Mm. But um, yeah, and so it basically, it it expands on the habits. It gives two more habits that we didn't have time to talk about. It talks about entrepreneurship as a game, your career as a game. Uh, it talks more about the research and development mindsets. All of these things we've touched on are covered in great detail in that book. Excellent. Well,
0: uh, David, uh, before I kind of Kind of sum up what we talked about. Do you have, uh, because you talked about COVID, and I, I'm sure this uh, this whole crisis hit people hard in terms of, you know, uh, starting a transition that they were planning for their professional life, yeah. uh, getting hired or not, getting the position they wanted. Um, do you have any uh, any words of uh, of inspiration for someone who's maybe still you know doing research, thinking their future might be somewhere else? Doubting themselves, maybe a little bit. Is there is there something you'd like to to share with them at the end of this conversation to kind of motivate them and 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 pro- propel them to the next chapter?
1: Yeah. So I guess the first point I would make is that your PhD is worth much more than you might realize. It's not just the knowledge; it's all these strengths and these skills that we've talked about that are absolutely valuable uh, in many different areas. But when and then in thinking about it, especially given that we've many of us have been, had setbacks, right? No. We, had a, we might have had a plan and we've run into setbacks. One of the things I've learned to think about is when you run into a setback, you can let it drag you down. There's three ways you can deal with it. You can let it drag you down. You can get through it and go, whew, boy, that was bad, but at least it's over. Or the third way is you can actually embrace the challenge and think, how can I use that to build something that wouldn't have otherwise happened. I mean, I did that with the book. I thought, boy, I I normally travel. I, I was planning on spending much of the 2020 in Europe delivering workshops. Yeah. That all went away for the first nine months. Right. So I found a different way to make something of it. But I, the way I sum it up, I like to say, what story would you like to tell down the road mm-hmm. when you look back? <laughs> Do you want to look back and say, boy, that pandemic was awful, and I'm just glad it's over? Okay. Or would you rather say Hey, this was something I didn't plan, but I found a way to leverage it into something, and I decided how I was going to make that story. I decided what story I wanted to tell afterwards, and that's what I developed.
0: Hey, that's that's great. It's a great point. I just have one last thing to to mm-hmm. ask you, which is: Are you able now to give um, to give workshops uh, at least uh, around where you are? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is that has that resumed yet? It it actually has so two comments. First of all,
1: by the end of 2020, I was doing everything online, even two day workshops. You know, I my initial thought was how do I do these online, but I figured that out. That's part of the story, and so I deliver even my two day workshop content okay. through Zoom. Okay, but I also am able to travel again. I've started traveling again, even internationally, um, and uh, so I am embracing both now. Perfect. That's part of the story. Is uh i can do them virtually and i can do them in person mm. and uh in my workshop my sorry my website details many of the things that i do uh and i'm happy to uh travel Excellent. if that's what somebody's interested in and happy to do them online as well
0: great so i so what i wanted to say is if you've been inspired by my conversation with david david giltner the new book we're all expecting it but there's the first book that you can that you can go read uh, and i think the the big take home message for me david and, and this is going to be the the last few words and you can comment if you if you want after but there's gaps but we can fill those gaps we especially after a phd learning is the thing we do so um, yes. the hopeful message that i got from all we talked is people when they see a phd arrive from industry might expect this gap or that gap or that gap and they have uh, let's say historical reasons to to do so to think so but but mm-hmm. we as phds we as phd programs or as or or as you know research institutes we can uh, we can fill those gaps before the transition arrives and this is why it's with workshops it's with reading good books but i think also very importantly it's talking with people who are on the other side of the fence get bringing yes. them to the institutes uh, no uh, bringing alumni let's say of your program who are now a startup mm-hmm. ceo and ha- and have and talking with them and understanding what their experience was what they learned people Mm -hmm. stories like you said you know your first book was filled with stories of people that's it's a little bit what i do here on papa phd so yeah i think it's a very hopeful message i really appreciate what you're doing i really appreciate the the structured view you have of of this and i'm I'm really thankful that you came on the show well thank you for having me this was
1: really fun to talk to you i really appreciate the invitation and i it was, this has been a great time to uh, talk to you about something I care a lot about and I think is important for so many PhDs, it, it, it so many exciting, rewarding career options. If you're feeling like you wasted your time getting a PhD, oh, my God, it's not true. Uh, there's so many things you can do. I, much more positive approach
0: is available. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. David Gildner, thank yeah. you so much for having come on the show and uh, all the best for for. 2021 2022 (laughs) thank you same to you thanks for listening to another episode of the papa phd podcast head over to PapaPhd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic post-grad careers i'll always be happy to share inspiring stories new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.